1: I totally forgot
0: what we were doing. Oh, my gosh. We're doing the show. Oh,
1: oh, great. That's a good yeah. idea.
2: All right. Well, yeah. let's get to it. Yep. Well, unless you want to do a little peek behind the curtain. Nope, nope, nope. We don't do that, Paula Poundstone. We we used to peek behind the curtain, and now we go straight to business, because we are a show about business, not pleasure.
0: Go ahead. Go
2: ahead.
3: Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> stop and stop.
2: Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California, it's Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, your comedy field guide to life. Tonight, with a new bunch of movies about to be entered into the annals of Oscar history, you might be wondering, where is that history? Who's keeping track of all the great films, the wonderful movies we review, like Pacific Rim, the Smurfs, sure, but also the more obscure ones like, say, Rear Window, which is not, it turns out, a porn title. Live and learn. Anyway, it turns out that someone <laughs> is keeping track of all of them, and his name is Randy HaberCamp, Executive Vice President of the Library, Archive, and SciTech for the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. He's here with us tonight. Also here with us tonight are two other eminent scholars, Professor Bonnie Burns and Dr. Tony Anita Hull, and they are here to give their (laughs) dissertation on the history of the bra. It will be fascinating, and, spoiler alert, Paula already thinks the garment in question is total bullshit, so you know she'll be waiting with an open mind to receive Tony and Bonnie's oral report. (laughs) I'm Adam Felber, the guy who was handed an intro about Oscars and bras and somehow found a maturity not to say breast-supporting actress or any of the other 325 quips that occurred to me. I'm the real hero here, people. And now, please welcome the beloved star who, when asked who she's wearing, can always name exactly which cat's fur have contributed to her signature look. It's Paula Poundstone! Hey, you guys! Welcome, Paula! Too
0: late for a cold (laughs) open? You know, uh... And hey, welcome back to House Band Matt K. Evans on the electric guitar. Matt is a composer and guitarist from Santa Barbara who likes making things. He'll write your friend or family member a weird and amusing personalized birthday song if you contact him at MattKEvansMusic at gmail.com. That's MattKEvansMusic at gmail.com. You know what? What? Rihanna did my grabber. What? (laughs) At At the Super Bowl a while back, Rihanna did my grabber. I forgot to mention it
2: before. At the Super Bowl.
0: At the Super Bowl. She can't come up with her own shit just to steal from me. I don't know Do hear that me doing the umbrella song? No. No, she stole from
2: me. That was my grabber. What? Just being on a platform above? No, She. yeah, she was like up high and, yeah. Well, a couple of things. Number one, she had the foresight to tether herself to the platform so as not to fall. <laughs> and lose yeah, a leg. So she, yeah.
0: Yeah, so she was not as good at the grabber Number as two, I am. Number two, she did it but, while
2: singing. <laughs> and yeah. pregnant.
0: All right. Uh, um, First of all, the likelihood of me getting pregnant is very slim. Second of all, are you saying that when I do my grabber, you would like me to sing?
2: I have definitely not said that. That is not a thing I'm saying. In fact, uh, I will say whatever you need for that not to be the next thing that happens for a grabber. Yeah, I'll do the
0: lose your legs song, which well, I think I probably have done before. Yeah,
2: well, um, we've stopped yeah. doing grabbers, so I don't know what next yeah, year's Super Bowl halftime show is going to do for inspiration.
0: Yeah, they're going to be at a loss. Yeah, I cu- I couldn't believe it when I saw you know, and I, literally, you know, like was like a hundred million people or some ridiculous amount of yeah, people watched yeah. that Super Bowl halftime like bill, show, yeah. which leads me to think. That Bonnie Burns was wrong about the grabber all these years.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah, because Bonnie hated it. She didn't think it was attracting an audience. And here's Rihanna. Basically stealing my grabber. Getting 100 million viewers. Yeah. Well, Bonnie Burns has egg on her face again. I didn't hate it. I thought it was too long.
0: You
4: know what? Right now, you and Trump are the only two who didn't like the halftime show. I like the halftime show. Those guys in white. You thought it was too long. No, the white, the guys in white with the hoods, I thought that that was so creative that the choreography was amazing. There were guys was, in white with hoods? Yeah, yeah. but okay. it was like. <laughs> That's not creative. Uh, men have done that
0: for a long time,
4: guys in white with hoods. That's. No, but. They stole Everything. <laughs> It was oversized, and there was something about it that was really original, very interesting. Yeah, exactly. So this is my point about my grabber. I know you love Breaking Bad. Did you happen to see the commercial with Walt and Jesse?
0: Yeah.
4: No, I didn't. It was fantastic. I saw a clip of it, but you know what?
0: I didn't watch the Super Bowl. Well, let,
2: let's move on, because America has. That was two weeks ago.
0: Um, <laughs> it was two weeks ago. <laughs> you're right. But we hadn't talked about it before, and it just dawned on me that at the mention of the cold open, I realized that I, Rihanna had ripped me off. And, uh, you know, it won't be the last time. Sometimes at night yes, I see her uh, looking in through my window. She steals everything from me. She's um, well, She's pregnant. <laughs> what's that? After doing that? She's got more to do than look in your window. Now you don't have to do anything when you're pregnant. You're just—you're not doing anything.
2: Just, no. It just—it doesn't require your hands. Well, you do have time to do a Super Bowl <laughs> halftime show. That's true. <laughs> but, but go on, Paula. What, what else is going on in Paula Poundstoneville, though? What? Tell me. Tell me what's up. Uh, mostly, I've just been seething over Rihanna stealing my grabber. That's
0: fair. <laughs> well, we can. I don't know if I, I've been yes. able to focus on anything else. You know, That's it's been okay. two weeks. It's been two, two weeks, weeks of, <laughs> yeah. of a, you know, of a rage. Like you know, how when you're trying to build a fire, and it can be like inside the sticks, and you don't even see it right away, but it's already yeah. really hot. That's sure. the kind of rage I've had.
2: For two weeks. <laughs> Let's talk to some other people out there. Hey, Tony, you need a hull. Oh, you're, no lo- you're still not in Sherman Oaks. You're still out in Woodland Hills in your little <laughs> motel so room. Sad. Wow, Tony. How's your boyfriend at the bar? Any progress oh with Oh, my
3: God. Stop. Ah. No.
2: Have you been back to the bar, Tony?
3: No, I haven't. I have not been Troy? back down, what down is his there. his name Troy or something? I, I don't even remember. I see him out smoking, and I see him out... I see him at the bar every night that I... You like, just said you haven't been back to the bar. No, but I mean, like, like last night I went down to get my car because I had to run to get cat food. Because we've been through a whole bag of cat food since I've been here, so I had to go buy more cat well, food. Well, wow. you're probably
0: hungrier than you were when you were in your apartment?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I th- do you think Mr. Totes is stress eating. I think he's put on a couple pounds. Um, but I'm still, I'm still at the hotel six weeks and counting. I have up... I've gone from Silver Hilton status... Gold status wow.
2: in the time. Wow! It's on Friday or something. You're going back down to the bar, right? No, hopefully.
3: God by Friday. I've extended my stay now until Friday, even though that was literally the probably the eighth time. Okay, so go I've down to the bar on
2: Thursday and say goodbye to everybody for us, right?
3: No, uh, I. You know what? I feel like I can't go back down. But can I tell you? Be honest. I'm gonna be honest. Truth. Because
0: truth. you did something weird the last no, time. No, didn't do something anything weird. weird. How I fucked up did you get did you do? the last no, time you were down didn't I in that didn't bar? Do anything this is weird. Be so
2: fucked I fucked up. Didn't Never up. go to the hotel bar. If this is such a bad idea. Turn down the sound right now. No,
3: I like now like i don't know i feel like i've talked about all of them in public and what if they listen to the show and they now don't. they're like oh my <laughs> well, god maybe,
2: maybe if you'd worn the sweatshirt they they would yeah
3: yeah but they but now, get, but now i can't have them listen to the show
0: yeah they don't listen to the show you said you were going to go back down there in a sweatshirt tony <laughs> okay fine Tony, could you bring like an autograph book or something and have everybody sign your book before you leave the hotel? Like the the bellman and the, well, clearly there is no bellman. No, there is
3: no bellman. They have carts. They have like bell carts that you can oh, bring up. I fucking up hate
2: it. the cart. Um, yeah. All right. Well, have a good time down at the bar saying goodbye to everybody. In your Paul, nobody listens yeah. to Paula on sweatshirt. Get
0: everybody to sign your autograph book. Yeah. Meanwhile,
2: we're moving down to, uh, or moving up to the Simi Valley where Bonnie Burns is just raring to tell us this amusing
4: anecdote from her life. How are you, Bonnie? Did you know that the cumulus cloud has a flat bottom? (laughs) It's the rounded top that keeps changing shape.
3: (laughs) I didn't (laughs) know that. That's interesting.
4: A normal cumulus cloud floats in random patterns, and it's none of them, none of those clouds are together. But when they go together, they become. A cumulonimbus, and then that can be rain. Do you know rings. why they
0: go together? Because the male cumulonimbus cloud puts out a scent, yeah. and it attracts the female, and they mate.
4: And yeah,
0: um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly.
4: Well, thank yeah. you for that, buddy. Is that what you uh, is that what you prepared for this week? Well, as they drift by, they can get bigger
0: or disappear. Well, they get bigger until they rain and that's cloud sperm when it rains it's cloud sperm <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> it's so
2: gross by the way worst song from a Hollywood musical ever <laughs> every time it rains it rains <laughs> sperm from the heavens ew Whoa.
0: god it's so yeah. gross <laughs> oh you remember that great movie singing in the cloud sperm oh, yeah. that was a great movie <laughs> It's
3: just like ooh, it's jizzing or ejaculating <laughs> all over you. Yeah, wow, so I didn't for that's say that. making it more
2: visceral, Tony. We get it now.
3: <laughs> it's so gross.
2: <laughs> M- makes you think of Gene Kelly in a whole new way, though, doesn't it?
4: Oh. <laughs> it's so gross. I was going to say that cumulus comes from the Latin word heap. <laughs> it comes from the Latin word what? <laughs> heap. Yeah.
0: That's where the female cloud will say to the male cloud, Say, are you shaped like a duck or are you just happy to
2: see me? <laughs> yeah.
0: It's <That's>... So
3: gross.
2: <laughs> that one's not gross, Tony. That one just is I nonsensical. As I, hell.
3: Can't, I
4: can't <laughs> get off the sperm.
5: The cloud sperm?
4: <laughs> you know what? I yeah. think yeah. she's We're, a big, a sex bomb. And she's just like me. trying to have us, like, she's acting no, the opposite so that none of us ever guess. No.
0: Yeah, yeah. Tony has Tony has a secret life. um, there's not a there's not a a guy in the in the tipsy whore that bar that
2: is in the hotel. There's there's not a
0: guy in there that she has. She's called the
2: festering trollop or something. It's not.
0: she's the Marjorie Taylor green of that bar there's oh not- my God! <laughs> no, that
3: is the, the worst oh thing you have ever God. Said to
2: me. God Tony is like beet red and we haven't even gotten to, to our bra report like yeah, yeah
0: She she turns to a guy on a stu- on a bar stool and says do you like walking in the cloud sperm and out they out they go. A beautiful wow. story, uh, Tony. It's, uh, really, not uh, you, true you, at all. You can be yourself in front of us, Tony. That's okay. <laughs> yeah,
2: to an extent.
0: Yeah. You um, know, apparently, you know how she's been away for like two weeks at a time going on a cruise? It's yes. one week on the cruise and then one week of healing, usually.
2: Oh, my <laughs> God.
4: God. <laughs> <laughs> no, she has her hands true. over her face. You, you know, Paula, you know, that's what happened face. to her
2: at her apartment. It was it was the, the the damage came from inside the house, is what I'm saying. <laughs> oh my like god!
4: Oh are... god. <laughs> well, was... Tony,
2: if you're gonna hit somebody to the pipe, it's is gonna <laughs> break. What is this not?
0: Moving on, Paula, do you have a word for us? <laughs> freaking... <laughs> Tony, um, I just want to say before we go any further, you've been doing a great job. And <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You know, what? we could sell. Nobody listens to Bob Stone umbrellas. I think.
2: He, yes.
0: I mean, I don't. I you. I don't mind getting wet in the rain. But now that I know what rain really is, I I, I might want an umbrella. Yeah.
2: I'm I'm a little um, bit uncomfortable with it too. Suddenly, I'm I'm a potential umbrella customer.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! You know, Tony, I'm so glad you asked. Uh I do have a former Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone <laughs> vocabulary word to ask each of you the definition of. Listeners, if you go to our Facebook page, you'll find that I've been adding on limbs and features uh, to, uh, to for Adam, Tony, and Bonnie's portraits each week uh, when they tell me the correct definition of a former Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone vocabulary word. I, I don't know if we've practically expanded any of our vocabularies. But some beautiful, suitable for framing portraits are certainly emerging. Um, So I'm going to ask Bonnie and Adam to take their headphones off just for a second. I'll signal you back when it's your turn. And this grueling mental contest will start with Tony Anita Hall. All right, Tony, you ready? I'm ready. All right. So there's a former Nobody Listens to Paul Poundstone word. I will say that when I found it, I had to look up what it meant again myself. Myrmidon. What? Myrmidon. It's M-Y-R-M-I-D-O-N. Myrmidon. Myrmidon. I have no freaking clue. Um, You know, you could really use an elbow. I know. Myrmidon.
3: I, it is, um. You better not be Googling. No, I'm looking at it. I'm trying to really use reasoning like All what these reasons. parts of the word could mean. Yeah. Um I don't I don't think it's a type of dinosaur.
0: No, it is not. Uh it is a noun that means follower or subordinate of a powerful person, especially one who is willing to engage in dishonest activities. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So like the majority of Trump's cabinet Pretty much any lawyer that he hires at this point, Myrmidon. Okay. Um, Thank okay.
1: you. All right, all right. I did not
0: but, know. Well, I have a feeling you're not going to be the only one. I wouldn't have known either had I not read it. Um, all right. Let me, uh, let me signal Bonnie Burns back in. Bonnie Burns is coming to the microphone. Wow. You guys were talking for a long time. Yeah, because Tony knew so much about this word. She knew its <laughs> Greek roots. Yeah. <laughs> scaring me already. All right. Here's the word, Bonnie. You ready? It's Myrmidon. Can you spell it? Uh, Yes, M-Y-R-M-I-D-O-N. It
4: is a salmon spawn.
0: <laughs> okay, keep in mind, listeners, these are former Nobody Listens Poundstone vocabulary words. And each of these words was read every week for four weeks uh, it, within the vocabulary I song. I
3: think this was a word when I was on a cruise or something.
0: Uh, I, I actually uh, don't remember it either. <laughs> Myrmidon. Um, Okay, uh, Adam, uh, Adam Felber, there he is. Okay, here he comes. He's approaching the microphone now with a confident look on his face. Uh, All right, Adam, you ready?
2: I I am as ready as I'll ever be, Paula Poundstone. Uh,
0: The word is myrmidon. Myrmidon?
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Yeah. Uh, Like M-Y-R-M-A-D-O-N kind of thing?
0: Close. M-Y-R-M-I-D-O-N. Myrmidon. Yeah, I feel I feel so much like Alex Trebek now. That, that you know, there's part of me that feels a little arrogant that I know the answer, but I'm reading it off a of paper. That's an underwater
2: mafia boss. You're so close. It's an underwater actually, mafia boss. It, it, he really does sleep with the fishes. <laughs> Turns out your octopus is late on his payments this month. I'd hate to see him wash up on a beach somewhere. Yeah, that's a nice. Tentacle you got there. Um, All right.
0: Uh, Myrmidon, it's a noun that means follower or subordinate of a powerful person, especially one who is willing to engage in dishonest activities. Myrmidon. All right. So, all right. If we think of Don, if we think of Don as like the Donald Trump and then- a mermaid, uh, m- mermaid like the mermaid, like somebody who services him. I don't know if mermaids really service anybody, but uh, you know, somebody was a sycophant. Um, I mean, I don't know if it's mermaids like a lackey. are really sycophants. Yeah, a lackey. Yeah, 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 it's a it's a toady. That's what myrmidon mer- means. Uh, a-, a toady. No, I but like damn here. you were—well, you were, well, you were
2: closer than the others, Myrmidon Not only was I closer than the others, I think I might have the logline for a very successful new Hollywood movie <laughs> Un- Underwater Don. I mean, think of it.
0: Yeah, I'm surprised it hasn't been made yet. Yeah, I'm surprised it's not made by uh, who's. What's the name of those movies
2: that I'm so sick of? Uh, Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. No, I—I I, I think we open off the coast of Sicily. All right, well, Paula, that was fantastic. Yeah. Speaking of movies, uh, Stanley Kubrick said a film should be more like music than like fiction, a progression of moods and feelings. While Alfred Hitchcock's take was the length of a film should be directly related to the endurance of the human bladder. Sorry, Stan, I think Al's got you on this one. But we'll consider the entirety of film history and still have time to take a pee break when we come back. Now, a news update from The Dental Chair. Hux! News! (coughs) Hide! This has been a news update from The Dental Chair.
0: On this day in unremarkable history, Jesus said, You know what? Let's just hang out today, fellas. Don't write down everything I
2: say. <laughs> and we're back. Thank you, house band Matt K. Evans. Hey, Paula, you're looking uh, pensive, as you tend to be at the beginning of the second part of our show every week.
0: I, this is my pensive period. Adam, yeah. I used to work 12 To 14 hours a day as a table busser at a restaurant in Boston. I kept the schedule for the Harvard Square Cinema, which was mostly like a a revival movie house. They had a different double feature every day. I kept their schedule on the wall in the restaurant kitchen just above the trash can because just thinking about going to the movies lifted my spirits. It's where I saw The Thin Man, My Man Godfrey, All About Eve, Rear Window, Duck Soup, Casablanca. Oh, great movies. I'm not the first one to say this, but movies transport you. Not the shit you make me watch like Predator and Titanic and Xanadu, but lots, lots of others. Uh, I love movies. I love quoting movies. I love old Hollywood. I love old movie posters. I love knowing little tidbits and pieces about how movies got made. For example, in All About Eve, when the car runs out of gas and Uh Celeste Holm and Betty Davis are stuck in the freezing cold... And they were all bundled up in furs. Yeah. That was done in a sweaty, hot sound studio. It was a hundred and fuck in there. Or Robert Redford had Mary Tyler Moore shoot a scene in Ordinary People 26 times, and it was never seen in the movie. I love little tidbits like that. You know, there must be a a place to learn more about movies. There must be someone who could tell me about it, but I don't know who it would be, so I'll just... Keep sifting.
2: Yeah, well, I don't know who it would be either, so uh, we'll be back right after these messages. No, 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 wait a minute, Paula. I just realized that our guest today is, in fact, the expert that you seek. Oh, wait a minute. That is coincidence. Roasted on an open fire. Yum, yes. He is the executive vice president of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences Library, Archive, and SciTech. Please welcome Randy Haberkamp. Yay. Yay. Welcome, randy Hello,
5: happy to be here. And it sounds like I'm at the right place. If you like movies that, uh, the way you do, I'm sure we can have a great time.
0: Thank you so much for being with us. I'm sure too. Um, so, Randy, what is the library called? The Academy's Margaret Herrick Library, is that what it's called?
5: Yes, it's the Margaret Herrick Library, and Margaret Herrick was the founder of the library, uh, when the, and she was uh, working as the librarian and then later became its executive director and was very instrumental in negotiating the television deal and uh, a huge, big woman exec back in the day. This is also a place that's in the uh, Douglas Fairbanks Center for Motion Picture Study. And it's called that because Douglas was our first president and the building that we're, our library is in used to be the Beverly Hills Waterworks Plant. And he decided that he didn't want an ugly building like that in Beverly Hills. So he said, uh, let's make it look like a cathedral and let's make it fancy and let's build a set around it. And that's kind of what it is. So you see it wow. and you think you're think you think you're driving by a church. But it's actually an incredible library on the corner of Olympic and La Cienega.
0: I must have driven by it many, many times, but I've I've never been to this library, but I would love to go. I watched a video about it, and frankly, it looks overwhelming. Do you have a recommendation for a guest's first visit? Like, I'm not writing a paper or a book. I just love movies and old Hollywood. So how do I take in some of the library in my first,
5: you know, hour or two hour visit? Well, in this modern age, you can even do some research beforehand, as you've already done to some degree. But you can go to Oscars.org and look up Academy Collections. And you can start to see some of the things that we have in the library online. You know, you'll get a sense. The great thing about the library is, you know, people think of a library as books. And yes, we've got every book you can think of written on film and even some pre-cinema things going back to the 17th century so that you can understand how film developed. It's a great collection, not only of books, but photographs, stills, posters, production design drawings, personal papers of people like Alfred Hitchcock and Katharine Hepburn and James Wong Howe. All kinds of incredible filmmakers from not just actors and directors, but Editors and production designers and executives and critics and all kinds of people. What about Confessions of a Puppet Master by Charles Band? Well, I don't have my Rolodex uh, <laughs> or, or my card catalog out. That may have been a self-serving
0: question on the part of Adam I,
5: I'm not surprised. I, <laughs> Which would... <laughs> uh, there's one now. <laughs> Talk about your coincidences.
0: Yes. Um, so I, saw, I told you, I, I saw the video, I think it was called The, the Home of Movie History, yes. uh, about the library, and there was a shot... Of a bunch of manila folders in a rack, and one of them was labeled Swiss Family Robinson. It didn't look big enough to hold a script. Right. So what do you think was in that
5: folder? Uh, That particular file is uh, going along what we call our oversized file. Uh, Because it's a library, we don't just have a box that's like Swiss Family Robinson where everything about Swiss Family Robinson is in it we have the script with the scripts we have the photos with in the photo department And we have what we call oversize. Oversize usually indicates that it's a press book, which is all the ads and things that were made for the film's original release. And I I happen to know that Disney at the time, assuming that's the uh, Disney version because there was another one, but uh, uh, they tended to have large size, almost like double size press books. So I suspect that's what's in there. It could also be 11 by 14 photographs, but I suspect in this case it's the press book. I'm going to go there and look for it. Okay. Um, I love that movie, by the way. Me too.
0: Within the library, are are the materials from All About Eve or Bridge Over River Kwai given the same representation in the library as Xanadu?
2: Ooh, that's a good question.
0: Do you know what I mean? Because there are some films that are great and everybody should see if they have the opportunity. And then there are some not so much that Adam makes me watch.
2: (laughs) Uh, Again, this is part of our show is we watch movies that might not be great. That's not, I'm making you watch them, Paula.
0: No, you. He's. Ma- I would never have watched Xanadu for any reason. Um.
5: <laughs> okay, well, what I can tell you is uh, the one thing you learn at the Academy and at the library is for every person who says this is the best picture ever made, there's somebody else saying, I will never watch that. This is the worst thing I've ever heard of or seen. So uh, we do not have a system of oh, this is just the good stuff or the bad stuff. We have everything from Academy Award winners all the way through Mexican horror films and other uh, things that you wouldn't necessarily expect to find there. And yes, we do have actually the animation storyboards for the animated sequence in Xanadu. So if you want to wow. see those, Ooh. they are part of our collection. Oh my god! The main thing you need to know, though, is we are kind of at the mercy of the, our members and the collectors uh, because the things that come to us, almost 90% of it is donated to us. Um, there are some books and things that we uh, either purchase or that uh, we find ways, other ways to get donated to us or somebody to, uh, to sponsor them. Alfred Hitchcock's papers came to us from the Alfred Hitchcock family. And the reason we have pretty much everything you'd ever want to know about Alfred Hitchcock is because of that donation. And so wow. in, in Alfred Hitchcock's case, He did have the little key from Notorious that was zoomed in on by the camera. He also had the little matchbook. Oh, actually, it was uh, Eve Marie Saint's collection that had the matchbook because she had the matchbook in her collection, which we also have. We also have Robert Boyle, the art director for North by Northwest. So the great thing about our library is it's all these different perspectives of, you know, it maybe it's the editor, maybe it's the casting director, and you can see the people that were considered uh, or who auditioned for some of these things. It's really a, an amazing way of understanding the collaborative nature of film, we certainly have tourists in our midst with the directors, uh, but we also have all the people who helped them bring their vision to life and, and who made substantial contributions to it. So it's really much more of a puzzle, actually, that you can put together as you're researching a particular film or a particular uh, aspect of filmmaking.
0: When they made North by Northwest, did they actually climb on Mount Rushmore?
5: Um, actually, uh, there's an exhibit about uh, that in our museum right now. We have a giant, uh, backdrop that was painted on the MGM lots, now the Sony lot. But at the time, uh, when the MGM was built, they built that studio, they built a giant, uh, three story high, uh, tower that had, uh, a place where you could paint these backdrops. The backdrop would be raised and lowered so that they could paint at eye level. And so those things were made over decades. They were then rolled up, and on the first and second floor, they stored them. So we have one of the Mount Rushmore backdrops in our museum as we speak in our double-height gallery, and in that you can see pictures of how that sequence was made. We have the storyboards uh, that were that were done specifically for that sequence, and we have. Basically, shots where you can see they were never at Route Rushmore except for a publicity uh, release. They were actually in a studio at MGM with various painted backdrops, And all kinds of uh, effects, uh, totally on slabs of cement that they made to look like the sides of Route Rushmore. Wow,
0: that's remarkable.
5: Yeah, it's really amazing stuff.
0: I mean, if they did it now, I guess they'd do it, what, CGI or something, right? Sure. Because sometimes when you watch a film from a long time ago, you know, the effects kind of don't age very well. And you're like, oh, my gosh, you could see the whole thing or whatever. But I... I never knew that they weren't at Mount no. Rushmore.
5: Even when they meet, they have the little rendezvous in the forest. Yeah. To kind of say, oh, you know, I'm so sorry, you know, all that. And, and right. And clear the air. The whole forest was on a soundstage with a painted backdrop in the back.
0: Wow. Because it looks yeah. very, very Flagstaffian. Yeah. Actually, it looks like up that way.
5: Yeah. Wow. And you can see, you know, there's pictures that are far enough back that you can see the studio lights and the ceiling and everything. And you're like, oh, my God, who knew? You know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so cool. So I'm guessing the studios give you a ton of stuff, too, over the years. Yes. And, you know, again, different people bring in different stuff. You know, we've had people literally walk in off the street. Somebody came into the library and had a puppet, a cut-out silhouette puppet from the 1926 feature designed by Lottie Reiniger. And the thing that's amazing about that is, you know, this was the first feature done by a woman in Germany— And they just walk in and they say, we thought you might like this, you know, and yes, they were right. And that's why it's hanging in our museum now. I still have a crossbow from the indie film I made in uh, in 1992
2: that I will happily donate. You know, (laughs) Billy Wilder once told his cinematographer, shoot a few scenes out of focus. I want to win the foreign film award. (laughs) We'll focus more on film history when we come back. The cat of the week is Miss Roger from Oregon City, Oregon.
0: Hey, it's just me, Paula Poundstone. I don't want to bring you down by reminding you of why we need to laugh, COVID, but we do. Laughter could be practically prescribed by a doctor. Climate change. And there's something about the shared emotional experience of being a part of an audience that makes the laughter that much more powerful. Kids, 99% of the time when someone types LOL, they're lying. You don't laugh out loud at stuff when you're alone. You acknowledge in your head that you think the thing you're seeing or hearing is funny. Depression. That's why television shows (laughs) use a laugh track. By the way, it was only recently that it dawned on me that the Flintstones couldn't have had a live audience. Loneliness. I'm not saying that I'm the only one who can provide this healing laughter, Trump, but I am saying <laughs> you need to get it somewhere, and it happens that I work in theaters all over the country. Nuclear war. Go to paulapoundstone.com and see when I'll be at a theater near you. Parallel parking. Parallel parking. The spread of misinformation has fueled our cultural divide and increased our collective anxiety about the future. Tackling misinformation isn't a simple task, but it's important. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about Conspirituality, a podcast that's dismantling New Age cults, wellness grifters, and conspiracy-mad yogis.
2: On the show, a journalist, a cult researcher, and a philosophical skeptic walk into a bar, and the bartender says, no, 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 it's not that old joke. They (laughs) dive deep into current events, such as RFK Jr.'s involvement in mainstreaming dangerous anti-vax rhetoric. They crowdsource, research, analyze, and dream up answers to the problem with, get this, proven science as their ultimate guiding light.
0: I highly recommend you check out *Conspirituality*'s fascinating episodes on creating comedy in the MAGAverse with Jordan Klepper, Or RFK Jr. flirting with body fascism.
2: And you've listened to a bunch of them at this point, Paula, I know, and you tell me you love it.
0: I I do. They're, They're fascinating, and my favorite part is they use, wait for it, proven... science Science? and and if if there's any kids listening that's a class we used to take proven science as their ultimate guiding light I love that
2: from exploring cults to analyzing our cultural and political landscape the Conspirituality Podcast will help you stay informed about misinformation and help you resist fear tactics find Conspirituality on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts (laughs)
0: to talk to Trump. Talking to the former president can be difficult, but by practicing these suggested phrases in front of a mirror for just a few minutes a day, you'll be saying what you need to say to him with confidence in no time. Get a pen and a paper and write them down. Today's phrase is... You should look up the word exonerated before you use it again.
2: <laughs> and we're back with Randy HaberCamp from the Academy. Paula?
0: Randy, what section are you drawn to? Like, what's the most interesting stuff you've learned about the making of a movie or a movie that you discovered
5: somewhere in that vast collection? I think it's got to be the personal papers because you know you start to see not necessarily what was meant to happen but the the course of things and you and you see how things were maybe discovered by accident or you know especially like a casting list where you you see the director's notes and you're like wow you know who knew that that you know what what kind of uh, process that was So it's fascinating to me to put those different perspectives together when you put Robert Boyle's production designs and his notes together with, you know, Eve Marie Saint's script and you see what she was saying and then you see, you know, the editor. You know, it's just amazing to see the overlap and to see the groupthink and you see that groupthink come together and it's really fascinating.
0: So do the scripts have like Eve Marie Saint's script have like her notes in it and stuff?
5: Yes, and we have uh Gregory Peck's script from To Kill a Mockingbird where he's discussing in the margins what he wants Addis Kusfense's frame of mind to be. You know, we have uh Fred Zinneman's script from High Noon where he's talking about directing and, and the camera angles. We have so many different directors and actors and uh casting directors and even uh, some script supervisors, which is also interesting because you see how many takes they did of something and which ones they took for one reason or another.
2: How do you cull through it all to find the interesting stuff?
5: Sure, we do some curation. I mean, we don't keep things that are seemingly mundane, but although you can be surprised sometimes. But uh, that's, that's part of the research process. You know?
0: Shelley Winter's lunch order from Poseidon Adventure <laughs> <laughs> might actually give some... Context to her performance. (laughs) To
5: to why the
2: boat sank.
0: (laughs) Uh, And okay, just so just so everybody knows, Shelley Winters famously gained weight. To play the role of Mrs. Rosen, I think it was yes. um, in because it was a character that was supposed to uh, be a little bit debilitated by how heavy she was. But as she says in the movie, "I'm a very skinny lady in the water."
5: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Anyway, uh, it's a lot of it is about research because people coming in, if you don't have the material, you can't you can't do that kind of work. And so having that kind of depth and having that kind of uh, information is really a godsend. And when you don't have it, then you can't often prove, you know, why things happened a particular way or, you know, what the actual story was. So having that physical evidence, you know, where somebody took down, you know, Uh, Even something like lunch orders is like, oh, well, they were located. They shot that scene in in this particular place because here's the lunch order that tells you where it was. You know, so it's great.
0: I I so prefer uh, the idea of learning the information in that sort of more organic way. You know what? I can't stand is what do they call it on a on a DVD? The commentaries. Yeah, the the, the backstory. My gosh, I hate that. <laughs> I think part of it is because they know they're it's a performance, right? Right, in itself, it's a performance. Like I remember, um, my my kids went through the you know the Twilight phase with the Twilight movies, and watching that director talk about the making of that, it was nauseating. Um, yeah. Whereas if you just if, if because it was a performance of sort and and I'm not a fan,
2: but there are um, some commentary tracks that are really good. I mean they vary in quality hugely. Yeah.
0: Are you about to tell me you did one?
2: I did one. <laughs> yes. I I played <laughs> okay. Steven Spielberg on the ET comment <laughs> track.
0: <laughs> I knew you were making a a cut. You were calling out an exception for your own work. I no, knew it. No,
2: I have never um, done a commentary track. Though no, I'd love to.
5: If anybody out there you, wants me to play them. Maybe if you did listen to the Xanadu uh, commentary track, you'd have a better appreciation for that.
0: (laughs) Oh, no. I I, I, I think I have the most appreciation anyone could have for it already. All right. With the possible exception of the movie The Front with Woody Allen, I don't feel the story of the blacklist years when Hollywood was bullied by the government has ever been told well in a film if I wanted to use the resources of the library to tell th- that story well, how would you recommend I organize my search? Uh,
5: first of all, uh, I I love the front and I agree with you. It's probably, if not the best, certainly one of the best. But there, there's also The Way We Were, which is a film that I think do- right. deals with, with the uh, blacklist very well, even though it's somewhat of a subtle approach to it. But uh, And there are a couple of others that have been out but it is a subject that I think uh, deserves to more treatment. And one of the things that we've been doing is, you know, first of all, the Academy had its own blacklist story as far as, uh, you know, being, you know, supportive, you know, by not giving awards to people like that. And then later nice. giving them back and saying, okay, and one of those was Dalton Trumbo. Uh, where Walter Marish, who's still alive, by the way, and still, you know, he's 101 almost, and wow. you know, he, he gave Dalton Trumbo his Oscar back, and uh, he was past president of the Academy. He said, "No, it's time. This, this, this was an injustice." So, the Academy has done uh, what it uh, could in in that regard to make amends, but at the same time, uh, people understanding what that was and the effect that it had. Um, you know certainly deserves to be uh, looked at, and so we have a lot of files and a lot of stories on various people who either were blacklisted or uh, felt that they were that their careers uh, were ended so we we do what we can to make sure that that material is there for research so if you want to do a documentary or you want to base a story on the concept of the blacklist and and create fictional characters there's plenty of material uh from which to create you know a realistic story by doing research and and coming to see what we have
2: paula i think you should do it from the point of view of a guy who like thinks he's blacklisted with everybody else and he's trying to lead them together but it turns out that he's just kind of passed it and not getting cast anymore that he just doesn't get
0: hired yeah <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah exactly yeah, he's not yeah. that
2: good he's just not that good yeah yeah.
0: When I don't get roles, I say it's because I'm blacklisted. But <laughs> me too. Uh, I've been I've been yeah, blacklisted
2: since like 2005.
0: It's because people think I'm a communist. Um, <laughs> are, are, has has there ever been any theft from the library? A- and would you even know? There, there's tons of papers in there. Is it is it possible, by the way, that some of them might be classified?
5: Well, uh, that's two different things. But I'll say the first thing is, as far as whether we would know. We are talking about librarians here, so I just want to state up front that librarians know. They know what's going on in their library. Oh, they know
2: when you have <laughs> gum.
5: <laughs> For God's exactly. sake yeah, and we have a very they know
0: if you've been sleeping and they know if you 're awake.
5: <laughs> we have very friendly staff and very helpful staff people who it's but frankly they 're part of the uh value of the of the building in that the people inside it are just incredibly knowledgeable and if you don't know something or you can 't find something there's somebody there who knows all about it, and that 's their favorite uh thing that they can talk about, so you definitely should get to know the staff but The one thing I'll say about the uh, theft angle is it's very rare that we've come across something like that. You can't check things out from our library. You have to study them while you're there we can make xeroxes for you or copies or if you want a photo print we can do that but at the same time you you know you're kind of uh not necessarily under observation but you're definitely in a secure space the other part of that is we actually have had a couple of instances where we realized and we even knew who took what and what they did and just to show you how a vigilant librarians can be, there was one guy that came in and the people knew him so well, they knew it was him, and they didn't have to do anything other than to say, do you want us to let your mother know you've done this? And he brought it back. <laughs> wow!
0: <laughs> wow, that, you know what? Law enforcement should exactly. use that, that's good. exactly. <laughs> Are you aware of a movie maker who used the library as a major resource in a film that we would know?
5: Sure, sure. One of the things that gets used a lot for, and the example is there was a film called Bank about the making of Citizen Kane. The production designer for that film came in and used all of our material in Citizen Kane. Same thing with Hail Caesar, the Coen Brothers film. The production designer came in and said, "Okay, I really want to know more about what I'm doing here and how this should look and the period and all that. So uh, on on a visual style level, we actually have a lot of stuff that people find very, very uh, helpful. Uh, The other part of it is, uh, you know, uh, we had a screenwriter, uh, Larry Karaszewski, who's on our board, and uh, Larry's partner, Scott Alexander, they write a lot of their films about people that they feel never have had a biography done on them because they're so unusual, but that's what they find unique about them. So they come in and do these films uh, like Ed Wood and, and like Larry Flint and various others. And... Uh, so when they came in for Ed Wood and uh, looked at the files and saw the films and, uh, that Ed Wood had done and saw the pictures and everything, they realized, okay, this is going to help us really uh, create this the way we want it to uh, to sound and to to, uh, to look. Cool.
2: Hey, Randy, that was excellent. And now we are going to run all this amazing information that you've given us through a device that we have in our archive called the old pounce Donator. Paula? How's been
0: Matt K. Evans on the electric guitar? Thank you so much for bringing your hot licks to our goofy show. You sound great. If I can bring you with me when I do the Super Bowl halftime show, I will. And if I can ask for a little backup music, I'll tell you what the old Pounce spit out. <laughs> Randy HaberCamp, Executive Vice President, Library Archive and SciTech Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Thank you so much for telling us about this cool library. I'd love to take you up on your offer of a tour. Maybe there'll be an exhibit of the worst movies of all time and I could provide clips of the reviews from Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. I wonder if they have the Winslet v. Paramount Pictures 20th Century court papers from when Kate Winslet sued the studio for causing her spinal injuries, turning her head to kiss Leonardo DiCaprio during the making of Titanic. Maybe they have the damning x-ray of her spine. Surely they have the storyboards from the making of Predator, Maybe they have the early sketches of The Predator to show how it developed into a vagina with teeth. (laughs) Maybe they have Jennifer Beals' Flashdance character's daily planner to show how anybody could fit welding, dating, working out, visiting their old ballerina friend, running, and working in a nightclub all in one day. I'm hoping they have Vin Diesel's speech therapist notes in his copy of the script from Fast Five. (laughs) And if they have Olivia Newton-John's Xanadu script, I hope you can still see where she wrote, why am I doing this in the margins of the third page. I hope they have the original letter of apology from the entire cast of Jaws 4. The one that begins, we the cast of Jaws 4, know that we can never make up the time that we have taken from you. Perhaps they have a linguist's translation of this famous line from
2: Rocky. I can't wait to see. <laughs> He's the executive vice president of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences Library Archive and SciTech. It's Randy Habercamp, everybody. Thanks for coming on the show.
4: Yay! Thank you. This is a lot of fun.
0: Randy, this is wonderful. Tell us again where the where the library is located.
5: Uh, it's on the corner of uh, Olympic and La Cienega in Beverly Hills, which is literally like, the furthest, most southeast corner of Beverly Hills. And uh, it's also available online at oscars.org. Cool. Coming up, now that we've supported the
2: filmic arts, it's time to talk about a completely different form of support. It's the history of the Brazier, Lord help us all, on a brand new Bonnie and Tony's Oral Report. When we come back... Fun fact, in the Middle Ages, sesame seeds were worth more than gold, which explains a lot about 1312's War of the Big
5: Macs.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, thank you, Matt K. Evans. Remember, Matt will write your friend or family member a weird and amusing personalized birthday song if you contact him at Evansmusic at gmail.com. No, and no, we no, are no, back. No,
4: no, Get back, Blue. Get back. Get back. My dog is going to disconnect my computer. I know it. Blue, get back. Go back. Come on. Does your dog know the command go back? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm I guess he know no is the
2: answer to that
0: question.
4: <laughs> go back. back. Uh. Sit. How's this? Sit. Go sit. Go on the couch. Come on, Blue, cut it out. Bonnie, I don't think your dog understands any of these things. (laughs) All right, give me a second. No, wait, honestly. Just give me one second.
0: (laughs) She's talking to the dog in in complete sentences. It's a peek behind the curtain. You know, dog training, Adam, takes a long time. It's not not an overnight thing. But generally speaking, a a, a dog doesn't know,
4: (laughs) go back. Well, what about yeah. no? When he was trying to get onto the table, I said no. Did it work? He just like stood there like <laughs> coming towards the table. <laughs> All right. Now he's All right. Okay. All
2: right. Well, now now let's get to our show. Here we go. Hey Paula, what's going on? You look like your bags are packed for something.
0: On my bags attention unidentified flying object launchers please vacate the airspace to enable my travel for the following events <laughs> i'll be in annapolis maryland at ram's head on stage on saturday march 11th i believe there are two shows and cincinnati ohio at the Taft theater on friday march 17th for tickets go to the tour page at paulopoundstone.com that's paulopoundstone.com thank you
2: All right, and we are back, and this is exciting. And first of all, I want to commend everybody for um, not mentioning Cloud Sperm when uh, Randy Haberkamp was here. That was (laughs) (laughs) a lot of restraint. Another victory for our team, I think.
0: We were putting on the... We spiffed up for company, basically. We
2: we put on airs with Randy. But now we're going to take off airs because it's time for something I love. You know, Bonnie and Tony do the oral reports.
0: Yeah, they are. They're great. You know what? You guys should put out a long series of educational videos uh, Tony and Bonnie's oral reports are always fascinating.
2: All right. So ladies and gentlemen, for reasons that I can't remember, uh, maybe Julie Berkobian remembers. We were discussing it on the show a couple weeks ago. hmm Okay, thank you, Julie.
4: <laughs> thanks, thanks for jumping in there, Julie.
2: <laughs> She's not throwing herself on this grenade. Um, <laughs> Julie, why are we doing why are we talking about brasiers?
1: Well, you were telling us about your weight loss and Bonnie suggested that we hadn't noticed because you lose it in your breasts first. And then you started talking about your boobs all episode long, which was very upsetting. Oh, yeah, because it was making
2: Tony so uncomfortable. Yeah. (laughs) Which then
1: Bonnie called them flippy floppies and you wanted an explanation. (laughs) (laughs) Then we started talking about the pencil test. The pencil test tells you if you need to wear a bra. And Paula said, no one needs to wear a bra. And so now so that, here.
2: you do here. <laughs> That's our scientific and scholarly motivation to do this report. Paula <laughs> believes that, that, that brassieres are completely unnecessary.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They are. Um, but uh, I don't understand. Why, Bonnie, why do you say that you lose weight in your
4: breasts first? What I was saying was his head still looks as big as ever. It is. <laughs> <laughs>
1: How did we work this around? (laughs) (laughs) And he was saying
4: that he's noticeably lost weight. So I was saying it must be (laughs) like from his chest down and no more flippy floppies. When you lose weight, those things don't take as much. And like a guy doesn't like it when their little breasts take
0: Oh my
2: God
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. funny How long did you write for Hallmark again? Boy, you can turn a phrase um, no first of all, I do notice that Adam's face is more slender than it was a little while ago. Had you not told me you'd lost weight, I wouldn't have paid any attention but now that you've said it, I'm like, oh yeah, I do
4: notice that. So that's part. his face is part of his head. I yeah. mean now that Paula said your face looks thinner, mm-hmm. I think your head still looks like the big size, but I see that your face <laughs>
2: looks <laughs> thinner. what the fuck <laughs> is going on here? Wow. How did this become an opportunity? To, I, I don't get it.
0: I'm so glad we didn't let this side of a show when Randy was with us because <laughs> really.
2: All right. Well, to to what I'm sure will be my everlasting regret Everybody, it's time for The History of the Bra With Bonnie and Tony's Oral Report, ladies Boop,
4: boop, 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 boop,
0: I did not get sent to that
4: Was that <laughs> bird is the word,
2: no, 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 but, no, no. It's, but it's, okay. with boobs?
0: <laughs> it's not a report about a body part It's a report about
4: a garment
3: About a garment Yes. So uh, the primary... Boops
4: go in the garments. Sorry. I'll, I'll they just, do. Go ahead. I'll just be quiet. I'm so excited about the whole bo- boob thing. I didn't think I would be, but now that we're into it, I'm kind of excited about it. Boob, 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 Report. Okay, I'll
0: show you. All right. So we've definitely done the intro. Um, Who's who's, who's beginning with the information? I'm beginning the report.
3: Okay. Um, First of all, who invented the bra? You might be asking yourself. So some (laughs) historical accounts credit one person, but in reality, the bra doesn't have just one inventor. Uh, Over the centuries, the bra design has evolved from concept to concept and design to design to become what it is today. Bras have adapted and been influenced by fashion culture and sexual tastes of the times. From the the bandeau-like strips of the cloth worn by athletic women in ancient Greece to the classic underwire bras we know and love today. You're uh, reading the br- Tony. <laughs> the bra has got to be <laughs> over the course of what? history. No, maybe I wrote that. Maybe that's my summary of
2: N- Did you? <laughs>
4: no, yes, she that's Bonnie. <laughs> yes. She did. We worked on this very yeah. hard. The part about knowing and
0: loving the underwire bra, that came from deep within, inside Tony. Yeah, it really <laughs> yeah. felt like that, Yeah. Yeah.
4: I think she wears an underwire bra. i do what kind of an allegation is that to make
0: i do wear an underwire Uh, bra
3: yeah i do
2: too
4: (laughs) great i love that we're sharing but this is supposed to be a report (laughs) okay okay adam and paula it all began in the 1500s the corset arrived in france and the reason they liked the corset was because it smushed the woman's boobs up, and you could see them like. Well, Bonnie, you could know, do that without visual
2: aids. No. You do not have <laughs> to. Bonnie, Bonnie.
4: This is how it started. Please. It yeah. pushed the it pushed the breasts up and together, causing the yeah, top. of the Yeah, but you don't have to do that to while you're saying it. For a shelf-like bust effect, and these shelf like a yeah, shelf that's like what they called effect. it, a shelf okay. like bust yeah. shelf-like bust effect. And these early yeah. corsets had a long piece of wood or whalebone sewn into the casing. And then that's, you know, what was the middle of the woman inside and pushed up her boobs.
0: Oh, my gosh. This must have been so comfortable. You could keep things on those shelves. That's probably also, and this is a separate report, I think, <laughs> um, but that's probably also where the um, glass figurine culture began. Uh, Where, because of the shelf-like nature of the woman's breast, it's it's natural to want to collect, like, little glass figurines. The Hummel, for example, probably came along after this, I would guess. That's the first thing I
2: think now. I'm like, oh, I could put a glass unicorn on there.
0: Yeah, or, you know, or a teacup or... Okay, sorry to interrupt on it. No, no,
4: that's fine. Okay, so in 1889, a French designer cut a corset in two and created two separate undergarments. The top section supported the breasts with straps, and then the lower piece cinched and shaped the waist. So the top piece was a brassiere. Well, that was the beginning of the brassiere. Yes, Adam.
3: So... Then what happened? In 1914, uh, the first modern bra was actually invented. In 1914?
0: 1914. And New York City, socially. I just want to say that I think the part where she said, so then what happened? She wrote that.
2: Yeah, that one felt original.
0: That was classic Tony. So then what happened? I I hope nothing bad ever happens, like that Tony experiences something like this, but she would be so great testifying in a murder. So, yeah. then <laughs> what
5: that happens? Happen.
2: <laughs> hey, Tony, um, what is yeah. the name of the socialite who in 1914 invented this?
4: Mary well, Phelps Jacob. It's not important. So Molly wanted us to strike names. Said,
0: from-
3: <laughs> we have so much
4: information, we should get rid of words that didn't mean a lot to people. Who cares about her?
0: Mary, no, who was it? It was Mary Phelps who? Mary Phelps Jacob. Who's ever heard of her? Mary Phelps Jacob? No! because how many listeners right now are <laughs> are doing their genealogy and realizing fuck I'm related to Mary Phelps Jacob N- don't leave the names
4: out no I said unrecognizable <laughs> names what was important was it was a socialite it it didn't matter about her names we've mm-hmm. left some mm-hmm. names in here so you decided what was important <laughs> i know um, what the volume of material is to get through
0: i didn't want our it's report a lot- to lag Yeah. Back when Bonnie managed Barbara Streisand, she thought she should take the word people out of the song people.
2: Right. She said it just slows it down. We only need it once, Barbara. It should be people who need. Yeah,
0: exactly. It just slows it down. Are the luckiest in the world.
2: Hey, Tony. um
3: So... Mary invented and patented the first modern bra using two silk handkerchiefs and a pink ribbon. It was called the backless bra, and her invention was lightweight, soft, comfortable, and naturally shaped the breast. She eventually sold that patent to the Warner Brothers Corset Company.
2: Oh! Wow.
3: So, yeah, it kind of was a... like a little halter with like a little like tie in the back. So I guess yeah, it's still yeah. kind of at a back, but not like the strap we know today. Um, so, you know, World War One caused steam steep decline in corset use in the <laughs> United States.
0: Huh. No one ever really, when, when people go to list the ills of World War One, no one ever brings that up. Which is a you know, shame, really. Uh, there, you know, in all quiet on the Western Front, not one fucking mention of the decline in Brazier sales.
3: I tell you, Sarge,
2: I got a woman back home, and she's just dangling, waiting for this war to be over.
3: Corsets, yeah. So, so the U.S. War Industries Board asked women to stop buying corsets to free up metal for war production. So this saved oh about 28,000 tons of metal, which was then used to create... Two battleships.
4: How about that? Wow.
3: Then women were entering the workforce too, right? And so they didn't sure. want to necessarily wear this tight corset to go work all day.
2: So they started yeah. wearing what? Battleships. They started wearing <laughs> battleships to work.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't believe in. I don't <laughs> believe in wearing a bra, but I will talk uh, my. Into a battleship, sure. <laughs> and then I stand out on my back porch and yell,
2: All hands on deck! Uh, <laughs> so we built two battleships out of corsets that were never built.
4: Right. Wow. So then um, in the 1930s, what they used to call became known as bras, and a lot more people were using them. They Do were you know why de- that
0: is? <laughs> because Dairy Queen took over the name Brazier with the
4: Brazier burger. Absolutely true. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. So they were growing in popularity. Also, because of the ju- war
2: effort, we had to save letters. That's exactly right. The letters saved from the rest of Brazier went on to build an entire
4: code book. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, <laughs> so a company named S.H. Camp and Company created the first cup sizing scale for bras. Oh, oh the first cup sizing scale. <laughs> yeah, they attributed <laughs> different letters to different size cups. You know, the A to D, now we've got the triple E scale. but I don't think they had that back then. But we use the basic concept still today, okay? And that was an evolvement from the way the bras were before, which was one size fits all.
0: My daughter wouldn't tell me when she had a D cup because I had told her she had to get all A's and B's.
2: Uh, A lot of of kids will do that to you.
4: (laughs) Yeah, a a lot of shaming for girls. Okay, in 1947, cleavage became popular and frederick well mellinger, i think cleavage
0: was popular from the
4: start well i know but maybe right, it, that was the whole corset thing oh i know i know i know it took it took shape in america frederick mellinger who was the fredericks of hollywood guy <laughs> oh fred mellinger yeah he was the guy who really
0: repopularized uh cleavage which yes. had fallen by the wayside for a while he,
2: he and his partner otto Titzenpoppen. Oh my god, stop. (laughs) What? It's a German name. You can't deal with German names all of a sudden, Tony. Oh my God. There
0: was a brief period where cleavage was not in at all, and it was much more fashionable for a woman to force one breast to go left and the other to go right. (laughs) And then the cleavage thing came back again. Okay, sorry to interrupt. Well here's
4: here's what I think the difference was about like how the corsets pushed up. Their boobs, so you could see more boob. But what Frederick Mellinger did, <laughs> Fredericks of Hollywood, was he came up with the first padded bra. And he also released the first push-up bra. So even if you didn't have boobs, you could still look like you did have boobs. Boy.
0: Wow. Big advance That's in the field f- for sure. Yeah. Really made a really made a mark, he did.
3: Now we're in the fifties. Aren't we? Bust out your poodle <laughs> skirt, kids. <laughs>
0: Um, so, <laughs> so, so I think that was hers too. I think Tony wrote that. Excellent, Tony. Thank you. All original. You've been doing a fantastic job.
3: So, uh, bra manufacturers began to create bras using different fabrics, colors, patterns, and shapes. Oh, so, boy. this is the decade where stars like um, Patty Page, Marilyn Monroe, Lana Turner popularized the cone-shaped bullet bra.
2: Oh. Oh. Yeah. So until then, nobody had breasts that were shaped like that.
4: (laughs) No, they still don't. (laughs) They still
2: don't. Okay, live and learn. Maybe it's like putting your
4: foot in a high-heeled shoe with a pointed toe.
2: I I think it kind of is. Yeah. (laughs) I like the maybe there. Bonnie is allowing for the possibility of real bullet-shaped breasts. Um, (laughs) Doesn't want to rule it out.
0: Yeah. Okay, so... (laughs) Yeah, no. There's no breasts that are cone shaped. None. No, no. Okay. Um, it's mostly for safety reasons.
4: <laughs> there are no breasts
0: that are. No, cone-shaped. but you know
4: what? I bet if you had like a bra with a cup was square shaped, then you put it on, your boob would look square. Well, yes. So, <laughs> so the thing about yeah. the pointy thing was the same thing. They moved it yeah. into that shape,
2: right? Oh. I am now looking forward to a world with square bras. With square,
4: square <laughs> bras, yeah. I might yeah. have an idea. Oh, the trapezoid will be all yours. You know how you can get those griddle machines that are in the shape of Mickey Mouse. You could just yeah, try don't that use that on your breasts. <laughs> <with a bra. laughs>
2: Bonnie, keep your breasts out of the waffle iron is my advice.
0: I think, you know, we do have some young people, like kids, that listen to this show. And so I just want to make an announcement right now. Uh, No, don't use a waffle iron on any body part, ever.
2: Pretty good. Pretty good advice. Sound advice. Yeah. All right, continue with your report. In
3: 1964,
0: the Wonder Bra.
3: Is invented
2: that early?
3: Yeah, so it actually became popularized in the '90s, but um, it was invented in 1964. So this is a push-up
0: underwire bra. So it didn't become popular until the '90s. Until the '90s, it, Isn't it that started. Wild? They started making it. So people were in factories making Wonder bras from the mid '60s, knowing that no one was gonna like them they yeah. just they would they make tons of them only one or two would sell. <laughs> and then finally the
2: 90s.
3: They were made with a Canadian company too. Oh, so oh.
5: let's just keep
2: making these, eh, and sooner or later <laughs> you're going to like them. <laughs> well, they drink. So. I think we just keep churning a moot. Let's churn them moot. Boy, that's somebody that
0: really has stick-to-itiveness. That yeah. they could start in 64 and it doesn't become popular
4: until you know what? That gives me a lot of hope about our podcast. Yeah. (laughs) So in 77, the sports bra was invented because women were becoming more and more active and they needed something that would, you know, hold their boobs better. Yeah. It was named the jog bra. Was it named after Alfredo Jog? Um,
2: well, okay. But that magazine,
4: Jogs, never really took off. (laughs) Then in 2009, the memory foam bra was created, or they called it the smart memory bra, which was created in 2009. And the cups are made from high-tech memory foam that conforms to the shape of your chest and reacts to body temperature and moves as you move.
0: I never heard of this memory foam bra.
2: I'm having trouble picturing what it really does. It remembers. It, okay,
4: like, it remembers. you know when you go to sleep on a memory foam mattress, like the Helix, and it conforms to your body? This is yes. why you put on, and it conforms to your breasts. That doesn't make any sense at all. It uh, to and I. Does it? Yeah. What do you mean it conforms to your <laughs> no, breasts? No, I mean, so it's wow. It does make sense. Yeah, it, it makes does sense. It's to comfortable. Me. It conforms. It's not like a structured thing. It conforms. Oh, it's like the opposite of a bullet body. bra
2: in that, like, it, yes. it, your breast tells it what to do.
0: Well, yes. okay. Yeah. But it's all made of cloth. It's not like any bras were ever made of wood or metal. So they, it all conforms to some degree.
1: But sometimes you have gaps.
2: Julie's talking about gaps. Gaps
1: sometimes it doesn't fit right and there's like a gap
2: and it Oh so the yeah. memory foam would would, would uh, get rid of the gappy problem.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah oh, there's uh-huh. gaps on the inside huh yep. I'm gonna start looking more closely while I walk down the street yeah And is it considered polite to go up to a woman and say I think you have some gaps?
2: <laughs> no okay so no. etiquette's an important okay. part of this report then um all right but still I mean I'm stuck with this problem that Paula Poundstone insists that no one needs a bra. Of course no one needs a bra. Okay. Um,
0: yeah.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> this leads into, so the, the infamous pencil test, which is how we got onto this topic, kind of.
2: For our listeners, the pencil test is a test that young women use to determine w- at what point they need a bra, if, they, if a pencil can be tucked underneath one and have it not fall.
4: Or older women could use it to see if they need to wear a bra. Oh, so like previously they didn't, but now they do. Like they think they don't need to, but then they feel the pencil test and that's supposed to tell them, you know, you need a bra. Oh, then they do the pencil test and they realize, I see.
2: Okay, so here we are. We're at the pencil (laughs) test. Go ahead, Tony.
3: So this, just to recap what Adam said.
2: (laughs) It's because you're reading it,
0: yeah. She
2: wrote. Are you going to recap it? She because you, she
0: wrote that part where she said just to recap that. I know she wrote. She did not Google that.
2: Go oh ahead, my Tony. God. go ahead, Tony. I'm sorry, I a interfered. Pe-
0: a pencil test is
3: an an informal test of sorts. It's informal, <laughs> really? Because
2: I did mine at the DMV. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I remember my first, my sister's pencil test ceremony. That was very formal. Yeah. I wore a tux. Yeah. yeah. So
0: many people came to my test. Um,
3: So it's a test of brass development and the need to wear a bra that was conceived by advice columnist Ann Landers.
0: Okay. Oh, I can't believe that it wasn't somewhat funded um, by Ticonderoga. (laughs) We're not selling enough pencils. People don't like writing with pencils anymore. How can we get them to use pencils? I know. So, <laughs> what's the procedure you ask? Great yes, question. what is the procedure? Nobody asked. <laughs> yeah. we Wait, we, I'm raising my covered hand. It. Um, Tony, I'd like to take a pencil test. How do I do it? <laughs> That's a great <laughs> question. So, Thank you.
3: Um, a pencil is placed in the inframammary fold, the point at which the underside of the breasts attach to the chest wall. If the pencil does not fall, the woman has, quote, failed the pencil test and needs to wear a bra.
2: Wow.
0: Ann Landers this came from? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So Ann Landers thought she was in charge of
2: who needed... Boy, the word need, it's well, being talked about here. Well, she was here. president of breasts from 1948 to <laughs> 1967. <laughs> council. She was on
0: the Council of
2: Breasts. Yeah, yeah. Yes.
0: <laughs> Didn't she release that song, um, We're Not Just Shelves Anymore? And Lander was <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think that was hers. Yeah. And that was that one was very friendly and cutesy, not like some of the the, the shelving protest songs of the late 60s.
0: Uh-huh, get your fucking beer off my shelf. That was...
2: <laughs> get your beer off my rack. Country song.
0: Um- <laughs> so Bonnie's gonna
3: finish, we're gonna finish this up.
2: All yeah, right. us up. Yeah, home. Strap this um- one down,
4: Bonnie. <laughs> What'd we last say? Apparently you weren't listening carefully to your
0: partner Tony.
4: No, I don't You guys
0: This is like when okay, Sonny no, and no, Cher I would go. sing. Uh, Cher would sing, I got you, babe. And and
4: Sonny would say, Where where do we leave off? Okay, so there's other factors that go into determining whether or not you should wear a bra. It's not just the pencil test. For example, some people have very large breasts and they need the physical support of a bra or they get like a really bad backache. So that would be a reason to wear a bra. Okay. Sure. Then there's the social pressure, which is like what I think Paula's referring to, that it's gotten accepted that you should have perky looking breasts.
0: No, I'm referring to that e- even if you're wearing a bra, it doesn't take the
4: weight off you. No, it does the doesn't, weight is but, still uh, there. Yes. It distributes the weight. Otherwise you're like if you got big breasts, you're like Leaning over can be well, you very don't painful. Have to lean over. But they you can also wear a bra when you don't want your nipples to show through your clothing. Yeah. Okay. You know, okay. That, again, where do we get the idea?
0: I mean, everybody knows that you have nipples. And so by having your nipples not show, does it make people think, oh, she has no nipples? And yes. that's not <laughs> more,
4: more acceptable? Say it was clear clothing, like gauze kind of clothing. <laughs> The bra would cover up you. Well, then and
0: why would bra. you give a shit if you're already wearing clear clothing? If you're wearing a saran wrap,
4: then you obviously want to expose yourself. Then there is the social pressure of the belief that you look better if you have perky breasts, which a bra can accomplish. Okay. All right. Absolutely. Now, I was in an argument with Paula because I said that you need to wear a bra to keep your breasts from sagging it turns out that's not true she was right of course it's not true it, yeah you don't that wearing a bra does not keep your breasts from sna- from sagging they've bra manufacturers medical professionals researchers health professionals have none of them have found any evidence to support the idea that wearing a bra for any amount of time slows what they call breast ptosis. but pitosis is the sagging of your breasts sagging
2: Oh, oh my God! So
4: Paula was a hundred percent right that, no, she that nobody right. needs a bra
2: for that purpose.
4: Yes, yeah. she was right. Yeah. And actually, bra manufacturers are usually careful to claim that bras only affect the shape of the breasts while they are being worn, not the like lift of the breast. You don't have to actually lift every time you say <laughs> I that know. Time. I keep doing that, but you, can you just know, not.
2: I got him. Might as well lift him. <laughs> I'm so glad we didn't get to that chapter on tassels,
0: because that would have been weird. Yeah, Yeah. I'm I'm glad we're not talking about a protective cup. Um,
4: (laughs) And so in conclusion, I would say that part of the way that women have been subjugated is that they were forced to wear things that were uncomfortable for the sake of what might be more desirable sexually. That wearing a bra is a matter of personal taste. What you look like, it'd be like if you want to shave the hair under your arms or on your legs. Some people think not doing that is distasteful, but it's really a personal decision. And I hope one day, high heels will get taken out of the evolution of what women should wear because they're very Oh, no, you have to
0: wear high heels. Uh, I think <laughs> men have just come up
4: with high heels to
0: slow women down. No, no, that's not true. Uh, you have to wear high heels because it helps keep your foot arches. <laughs> 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 I don't have any arches my foot. <laughs>
2: I, don't, I don't either.
0: It helps crumple your toes. That's so important. Yeah, uh, I mean, you, you know, it's if like, you ever see like an old uh, a woman who's worn high heels for years, and then as she ages, their feet are so awful um, because they've just been their toes have been crushed. And it, I, I'm telling you, it's disgusting. Yeah. So hopefully people will see the medical reason why they need to do that as well. I'm still not really buying the whole, oh, you need it for the weight of your breasts thing. I buy that one. I do. I mean, That's proven. So wait a minute. So human beings, without yeah. the assistance of some garment maker, uh-huh. wouldn't have, uh, f- without, the, without the assistance of the fashion world, we would somehow
2: not survive. No, I'm not saying not no. survive. Uh, women who have you know large or unusually large breasts. I mean, they're they're heavy, and yeah. probably probably caused a lot more pain back before bras were invented. Not necessarily bras for aesthetic purposes, but ones that. To me, it's just like a backpack. Think about how a backpack distributes the weight of what you're carrying all over your body and makes it a lot easier to carry stuff.
1: My aunt had like the straps were digging in and she had like severe shoulder issues. That's why some women
4: have breast reduction surgery because they're in so much pain.
1: That's what she did.
4: That's what who did? Julie's aunt. Knockers, (laughs) knockers, (laughs) Bercobium. So let's just say the bra wasn't invented. I really think somebody would have gone, hey, I'm taking this pillowcase or something, and I'm going to tie it around my neck so that my wait, boobs like, aren't dragging wait, my wait, back,
2: back up. <laughs> No, 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 Paul. I want Bonnie to continue on this. I like, I like oh. the fact that she's inventing an inventor of the bra. Of the bra. And There's that so much happening
0: right now. <laughs> I want to go back to Julie's aunt, Knocker's <laughs> Berkobian. <laughs> what? She
3: was what? such
4: an influence on Julie. Um, it changes their lives, right? Because yeah. they're so uncomfortable all the time. Yeah, she is like a whole new person. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> she
0: was, after that, there they called go. her. They called her mm. Aunt Knocker's Berkobian Two.
1: <laughs> I just want to say that my maiden name is not Berkovian. Well, then that's weird that your aunt called herself that. Um,
3: <laughs>
2: Julie, I think we're going to have to know what your maiden name is so we know what Naka's yeah. last name was.
4: No, it was not I bet Tony knows what it is. They we went to school together. Is. Come on, Julie.
0: Oh <laughs> I think now that we've identified her aunt as, as a... <laughs> Woman who had huge uh, strap marks in her shoulders until she had <laughs> breast reduction surgery. maybe her aunt would like to remain private uh, possibly too bad too yeah. bad that she's it's now just... been uh, uh, outed as <clears throat> aunt knockers right. for Kobe too but
2: you know, <laughs> I, I do want to say it's, it seems like we have done a you know we've come to the end of this. Episode, thankfully. no come <laughs> and, now. and I, and I love that I love that we've uh, you know established pretty pretty clearly that what well, this is the fault of the patriarchy. <laughs>
3: Yes. Of course it is. Yeah. It's yeah. always the
2: patriarchy. It's always the patriarchy. That's and true. Paula was right. Paula's right. Nobody needs to wear them to to maintain non-saggage.
0: Right. No. There's zero reason to wear a bra.
2: Except, except, and we're going to get cards and letters about about what, what Bonnie is saying, Paula. Because I think, I think we're going to get w- women who say that wearing a bra alleviates the pain of having very big breasts.
3: Can't wait for that mailbag.
2: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Bonnie, right maybe that's Paula.
4: how it was invented. Somebody
2: took a mailbag.
4: I think the idea, Adam, was that you put the backpack on your front. She needs to put the backpack yeah. on her front and walk around right. with it. Or some yeah. kind of he sort set of. her, her back.
0: Yeah. <laughs> or have one breast removed and put it on the back, <laughs> and that would balance out. Hey Tony, you can't wait for that what? Oh my god!
3: <laughs> oh. Mail
0: bag. <laughs> All right. Breast,
1: breast edition.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> breast edition. <laughs> Triple E As edition. With that, we've
2: come to the end of Bonnie and Tony's horror report. Great job, women.
0: It wasn't Bonnie. It was not a report about breasts. It was a report about the garment. Oh, um,
4: okay. Bra yeah, report.
0: Um, you both did a really great job, and you did it under uh, the tyranny of those huge memories.
2: Uh, so <laughs> thank you and Congratulations. <laughs> alright well that was fun hey nobodies if you have questions or comments or you want to lecture us about how yes you personally do need a bra you would do that by dropping us a line at Poundstone at gmail.com also if you'd like to be one of our house bands if you're musical and feeling like that could be something for you once again that's Poundstone at gmail.com and Paula what is going on in your poundstone product empire this week are you vending those poundstone braziers yet uh well they're gonna be nobody listens
0: to paul poundstone Braziers. um adam i think if i was more like the worms in my worm farm i'd feel better and i don't mean by gripping surfaces with little hairs all over my body i mean i never give them a meal of ruffles potato chips I, i only feed them fruits and vegetables that must be why their waste makes plants so happy if your house plants are looking a little peaked this winter Order them some worm waste from the funniest farm in the world. Write to me at paula at paulapoundstone.com and tell me how much you need. It's $4 a pound plus shipping. Or for $30 plus shipping, you can receive a pound of worm waste. And I'll make for you a video showing you some part of my worm farming process and introducing you to the worm I name after you. To order, write to me at paula at paulapoundstone.com. So many listeners have seen Ambassador Tony Anita Hall wearing her Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone hooded sweatshirt <laughs> all over the world, but have been too shy to ask where she got it, I'll tell you. You can order yours at the shop at paulapoundstone.com.
2: Wow. Yeah, I'm going to order mine and I'll wear it more often than Tony does. Hey, remember <laughs> to follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It's free. Once again, you want to get in touch with us, hear about a subject? That's Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. And that is our show, Peoples. Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone is hosted by Paula Poundstone and yours truly, Adam the Felber. Special thanks to our guest, Randy Haberkamp. Yay!
0: Yay. Thank you, Randy. And
2: to our house band, Matt K. Evans.
0: Yeah!
2: Our show be produced by Paula Poundstone, Adam Felber, Bonnie Burns, Ken Zebnick, and Julie Berkobian, not her maiden name. Edited by Vic Lowry. Starburns production by Land Romo. That's our show for
0: tonight. Won't somebody please listen to me? Adam? Yeah? Do you think it's weird that Julie Berkobian's aunt took her married name? <laughs>
2: Yeah, it is. It is. You would think yeah, that she yeah. would, uh, you know, my niece got married, so I'm going to take new yeah. husband's name. That's weird. Right? I guess.
0: I mean, I don't want to be culturally
2: insensitive. Maybe yeah. that's what people who live over there do. Well, we don't know what culture Julie's from because Not we don't really know her funny. maiden name. <laughs> well, that's a good point. So there's no clue as um, to like, you know, what kind of culture yeah. they... First of all, who names a girl Knockers? That's just... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it,
0: Julie's aunt, Knockers... Burkobian, um, yeah. which must it must have been hell to go through, like middle school. Well, again, in middle <laughs> school, her name, her last name wasn't yeah. Burkobian.
2: It, was, it was whatever it was. Yeah. You know, we could uh, we could, could back solve this puzzle by looking up what cultures take their nieces' married name.
0: Oh yeah, that's a good way <laughs> to do it. That's a good yeah. way of doing it. Trace that back. Yeah. yeah. Boy, you are practically Henry Louis Gates. How
2: does that you make know, me you- like Henry Louis Gates?
0: Because, you know, he finds people's um
2: Oh, he traces back uh, genius Yeah, roots. Yeah, sure. Yeah. sure, sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, that makes yeah. makes sense. I thought you meant that I had a similar chest size to him. <laughs> <laughs> to oh, I him. Not. No, I don't, I don't think so. No. no.
0: His head's not as big as yours. According to Bonnie <laughs> Burns, <laughs> is
2: his head really
0: that big? I, Bonnie calls you um, Globe Felber. Uh, Globe Felber? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She apparently thinks you have a that's, huge head. I
4: don't not know.
2: Nice. Yeah. yeah, well,
4: no, but you didn't have a fatty head. Well, you're not here. You're not here. <laughs> you're not here. This is the, this <laughs> a is the coda. Head. You're not here. You're not, yeah, you're not
2: here.
3: <laughs> oh my God. I don't understand why we can't this be is, in the coda.
2: Okay, but you're not. <laughs> you're, why? Because you're not. It's not your part of the show. Hold on. I have one little section we have to ourselves.
0: Yeah. We, this is, so, sh- yeah. Shut the door. Shut the door. They so, keep okay. getting in. No here. Yeah. You yeah. know how
2: they
0: <laughs> keep getting in. <laughs> I don't know. It's like they've learned to do the doorknobs. <laughs>
2: do they do that. Man? They're like velociraptors.
0: I'll tell you when, when my son was little, well, he wasn't little, little, but when we watched. Jurassic Park together he was always scared of a lot of things but when he saw that part where the, they figured out who to do the doorknobs that was pretty much the end of any possibility of a happy life for him <laughs>
2: <laughs> 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 it's terrifying give it credit yeah
0: all we had was winged monkeys which weren't so bad I to this day I hope they don't show up when I'm watching Wizard of Oz
5: <laughs> I, I keep thinking the movie's
0: gonna turn out differently I think maybe they won't come and then they do. Yeah.
5: A podcast
0: <clears throat> a podcast network.